You're listening to Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman, and this is episode number 11, Grave Obsession. Hello and welcome to Just Another Fanboy Presents. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today we roll into week number 11 of the epic crossover event, The Death and Return of Superman, which means... We're looking at The Adventures of Superman number 499. Now, this issue hit the stands 30 years ago this week on December 29th, 1992. It had a cover price of $1.25, and the title of this issue is Grave Obsession. It was written by Jerry Ordway, pencils by Tom Grummet, inks by Doug Hazelwood. The letters were done by Albert Tobias de Guzman, and the colorist was Glenn Whitmore. All right, so as we do... Each and every week, I'm going to give you a synopsis of what happened in the issue, and then I am going to go through it page by page and just give you my thoughts as they happen to come up as I'm looking at it. All right, let's begin. As our issue opens, Lex Luthor II and Supergirl, who, by the way, share a bed, you know, just in case there were any doubts at all regarding the full nature of their relationship. Wink, wink. Anyway, they're pulled from their slumber by the klaxon call of an alarm that Lex had placed inside Superman's tomb. Lex quickly learns that the surveillance cameras from within the tomb are no longer functioning. However, infrared sensors show a heat source moving away from the tomb. Supergirl sets out to investigate, hoping that Superman is alive. She arrives at the tomb using the secret entrance Lex had installed inside a subway ventilation shaft covered by a massive grate. Supergirl, moving so fast that she's a blur to the naked eye, pulls the grate aside and enters the shaft. Despite her speed, she is seen by Rusty, an undercover cop posing as a homeless man who calls it in. Once inside the tomb, Supergirl finds the coffin missing along with a newly dug tunnel that leads away from the tomb. Meanwhile, outside the tomb, Jose Delgado has come to pay his respects to Superman. He's been dumped by Cat Grant and ponders on the idea of making a return as gangbuster. His contemplation is interrupted by a mysterious figure whom Delgado drops like yesterday's ham, only to discover that the stranger is Inspector Henderson. Rusty, the undercover cop, quickly arrives on the scene, thinking he's about to break up a fight, but is disappointed to find Inspector Henderson there, and the commotion a misunderstanding, because it only means that he has to go back to doing nothing but watching and freezing on that cold park bench. In the meantime, at the apartment of the late Clark Kent, no one can sleep. Jonathan tells Lois that he and Martha are worried about going back to Smallville, and leaving her alone. But Lois explains that she's been worried about the two of them, saying that as a reporter, she's embarrassed at her profession for the media circus that has risen around Superman's passing. Meanwhile, Lex angrily dismisses the floozy he's been seeing behind Supergirl's back by chucking a glass of wine at her. Back at Superman's tomb, Dan Terrible Turpin arrives and is shown to the secret tomb entrance by Rusty. Turpin enters. Elsewhere in Suicide Slum, Bibbo spies a drug dealer dealing outside his club and attacks him, chasing and tackling the criminal 
only to be attacked himself by the dealer's buddies. But fear not for Bibbo, good folks, for Gangbuster has arrived, and the two soon make short work of the lowlifes. Meanwhile, Supergirl comes to a fork in the tunnel's path, choosing her direction when she hears voices coming from within one of the two paths. She makes for the voices to discover a group of underworlders who attack. Turpin arrives soon after, and the two team up to battle the unruly mob and eventually manage to escape when a belt of grenades go off, causing a cave-in. The issue ends with Supergirl, once she and Turpin are back outside the tomb, flying off to inform Lex of her findings, as Turpin, who, by the way, lost his pants in the scuffle, tells his boss, Maggie Sawyer, that he suspects that Superman's body was stolen by Westfield and Cadmus. Dum-dum-dum. If I had a really dramatic bit of music there, I'd play it. So let's look through this issue. We'll start with the cover. I don't normally start with the cover. I need to start doing that. But this is Funeral for a Friend, number five, according to the text atop the cover. And it's uh, Triangle 7. I haven't been mentioning that either. But in the triangle, we have a number seven. This just features the statue of Superman in Centennial Park, uh, which is, you know, his tomb, basically. The tomb is beneath it or the crypt or whatever you would call it. And there's an eternal flame that is like right between the statue's legs. So uh, you better watch how high those flames go, if you know what I'm saying. And the the statue appears to be gold, I'm assuming, just based on the color. Or it's bronze. I don't know. But it's Superman striking his Superman pose, one hand on his hip, his other hand outstretched or arm outstretched. And an eagle is landing on his arm. It's very... Very dramatic. All right, so right away with page one, I'm reminded once again how Tom Grummet, as much as I love his art and as tickled as I am every time I open one of his issues because I know that the art's going to be beautiful, he does a completely different looking Lex Luthor than the rest of the of, of the art team that's working on these books because while he gives Lex Luthor the second long red hair, it's not quite as long nor as flowing as the hair that the other art teams draw on this guy. So that's something I always like to point out. But when the alarm wakes up Lex and Supergirl, who again, they sleeping together, folks. They got they got that thing going on. She is in a nightgown of some sort. But once he explains to her on page two that there is an alarm going off within Superman's tomb and the computer says out loud that a heat source, you know, is showing that there's something moving away from the tomb. Supergirl changes into her Supergirl outfit, but she does it in a way that reminds both us as the reader and Lex Luthor II that she is a shape changer because suddenly her costume is just on her. The, the nightgown is is gone. The, the gossamer nightgown is gone and suddenly pop she's got her costume on and Lex even says it gives me a shudder every time you transform like that except that he says it in an authentic Australian accent which I'm not even going to try to do here I've said that before folks I can't do the Australian accent anyway he sends her off or she volunteers to go off to investigate she's really hoping 
based on what they're seeing so far, which is nothing but a, a blip, basically moving away from the tomb, that Superman is alive and uh, Lex tells her not to get her hopes up. She arrives at the tomb or the, the ventilation shaft outside the tomb and she is, you know, we're reading her thoughts. They don't do that a lot anymore in comics, but she's got some thought bubbles going on here. And she's telling herself as she lands that she could have just turned in, invisible. Like she's just, she just forgot all about it. As she's landing, she says, I guess I could have just turned invisible, but moving at high speed like this, any onlookers won't see much more than a blur. So I don't, I don't understand that point. I guess, well, actually, no, I, I don't want to say that. I do quite understand why they're saying that, because as a reader who may know a lot about Supergirl, which I don't, but readers who would know a lot about Supergirl, they're going to they're going to ask, well, why didn't she just turn herself invisible? And uh, this is, I guess, their way around, you know, stopping those letters from coming in. Uh, but despite that, she's she's moving at a blur so nobody can see her. However, Rusty, who's this undercover cop that they have staked out on a park bench outside there in, in the park. Uh, we don't know if he's there to, to keep an eye on the tomb or if he's doing something else, you know, if he's on some other kind of case. Regardless, he notices that the grate over the air shaft is open and it wasn't open a second ago. So he gives somebody a call on his mobile phone and he tells them that he may have seen a ghost and continues, yeah, Something strong either just went in or came out of that ventilation shaft at the east wall. This is the part of the book or the the part of the series where they are very, they're not really dropping hints or, or trying to drop little breadcrumbs or little, I guess, moments of doubt in the reader's brain that Superman might be alive. We know at this point, of course, that he's not uh, because we did see Westfield or at least his team from Cadmus stealing Superman's body from the previous issue. But they're still kind of, they, they kind of want that doubt there in your mind. They, 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 they want you thinking about that because that will play in a bit later as we, as we go on. Cause there's, there's many times throughout this series that we're going to wonder if Superman really died or if he's come back to life or was he cloned or was he reincarnated or, or what? And, uh, this just kind of foreshadows that just a slight bit. But Supergirl gets into the tomb, notices this tunnel, and admits to Lex at that point that, well, okay, maybe, you know, maybe he's not alive. I mean, she's really excited as she's opening this big, massive door, like the, the door to a, a big bank safe. And she's got a headset mic on, and she's communicating this whole time with Lex. And she tells him, I know you think I'm foolish, but I think he's alive. And then when she gets into the tomb, she says that there's a hole in the wall and the coffin is nowhere to be seen. And that's when Lex tells her, well, if you if he's alive, why would he take the coffin with him? And she admits that that's kind of kind of a good point. But then she kind of fires back at him. You know, maybe he arranged something beforehand for somebody to come in you know, knowing that he can't die. Maybe he he knows that he can't really die and that in situations like this, if something like this were to ever happen, he's made arrangements beforehand to come get his body and take it somewhere to revive him. And Lex just gives her a big sigh and tells her, just, just go where the tunnel goes. Just tell me where it's going. Uh, outside, we have Jose Delgado 
talking to Superman in his head. Again, this is all uh, used by thought bubbles. And he, he, he mentions in his thoughts that Cat Grant is his ex-girlfriend. And he kind of makes it sound like it's because, you know, he used to be this guy, this vigilante named Gangbuster. Now, my only real history, the, the only times I've ever really encountered Gangbuster is during this series which is another reason why I want to go back and start reading all those, all the post-crisis Superman issues leading up to this, which, you know, maybe by the time this episode comes out, because uh, let me pull back the curtain once more, folks. I am actually recording this back on December 6th, but <clears throat> maybe by December 29th, I'll have some sort of announcement about that. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm just teasing you for no good reason because I'm evil. Anyway, he seems to be insinuating that Cat Grant broke up with him because she had wanted him to stop being gangbuster because he's a he he doesn't have any superpowers. He's just a guy who puts on a suit and goes out and beats people up. But she doesn't want him to get hurt. So she basically sounds it sounds like I don't know. Again, I wasn't there for these issues, but it sounds like she gave him kind of an ultimatum at one point. You you stop being gangbuster or or we're through. And so he insinuates here that the reason she broke up with him is because he's thinking about being gangbuster again. And I think it's because uh, of what happened when Superman died a few issues back and he got all angry and shouted at her son. And I think he even threw the freaking remote control and broke the TV and stuff. I, I think his anger issues may have caused her to uh, to break up with him. But as he's standing there in the rain, because uh, I don't think I mentioned that it's raining uh Actually, it looks like it's raining and snowing, but which is kind of weird when that happens. But it's uh, it must be cold enough up in the upper parts of the atmosphere to drop snow. But as it's, you know, nearing the ground, some of it's turning into rain and some of it looks like it's big clumps of snow, which happens around here a lot. So I know what this looks like. Anyway, some guy comes up behind Jose Delgado and. Jose whips around because the guy's like, your back must really give you hell, Delgado. What with all this dampness and Delgado, again, we're going to assume he's got anger issues, but it could be just, uh, you know, maybe he thinks an old enemy is creeping up behind him, but he immediately just spins around and punches the guy in the mouth. And we learn that it's somebody by the name of Inspector Henderson, who, as far as I know, and as far as I can remember, I don't remember him showing up at all in this, uh, storyline so far. This is his first appearance during this storyline. So I don't really know who this guy is other than the fact that he used to be a, or, or he is a cop and he apparently has some kind of history with gangbuster. And I almost feel like it seems like a lot of the heroes, you know, Batman has commissioner Gordon, Superman has Maggie Sawyer and Dan Turpin. And so I guess gangbuster has inspector Henderson. That that's all I can think about or think of is, is what I'm trying to say. We have the moment in Clark's apartment where Lois and Jonathan have this little talk. Jonathan and Martha are going to be going back to Smallville in the morning. Cause this is, this is the evening at this point, this is nighttime. They're having trouble sleeping. Lois is up pacing and uh, Jonathan can hear her out there. He uh, comes out because he wants to get uh well, he he tells Martha he's going out to get some water to take his pill. We don't know what he's taking a pill for, what kind of prescription he's on. Uh, but as he's out talking to Lois, he sneezes and he's kind of sniffly. So he apparently has a cold. 
and they both express their worry about each other. You know, he and Martha are worried about leaving Lois alone, and she's been worried about them, uh, especially with this big media circus that's going on, and she's embarrassed. She says, uh, this, this trash, she points toward the, a newspaper on the coffee table. Then the, the, the headline says Superman's wife. And she says, this trash makes me ashamed to be a journalist. And then we go from there back to Lex's place. And suddenly he has got this scantily clad woman with him whose name is Lori. She's got a, just a freaking giant head of hair. Her hair is just freaking huge. Her head is normal size, but her hair is just, bam, it's all, it's just, bam, it's out there. It's a big head of hair. It's just really amazing how much hair is coming off this woman's head. But it's, uh, it's red hair, and she's, like I said, scantily clad, and she's bringing Lex a glass of wine. And she, uh, she tells him that he seems, he, he needs to relax, and he should let her work those tense muscles for him. She says, let Lori relax those tense muscles for you, Mr. L. And Lex just tells her to go away. And she gets really worried for a second and not because of his sudden, you know, mood change. I'm assuming he asked for her to be there. Like the moment Supergirl left, he goes, well, I, I still need a lady with me. And so I'm going to call Lori to come on down here and we're going to do stuff. And uh, now suddenly he wants her to leave. But her concern doesn't seem to be about that. She asks him, you are drinking alone, right? I mean, like, she's not here, is she? Assuming that maybe uh, there's some kind of kink that the two have where Lex sleeps around with other girls and Supergirl turns invisible and watches, you know, which is pretty weird, I guess. But uh, Lex just throws the wine glass at her and screams at her to go away. And that's when he hears back from Supergirl who has gone further into the tunnel. And she mentions that the tunnel just seems to be carved through dirt and rock. And it looks like the walls have been heat fused together, you know, as some kind of support and explains to him that the deeper she goes, she may lose radio contact. And he's just like, find the body. Then we go outside. Dan Turpin shows up. Rusty, the, the undercover police officer is, is, is now is, Standing there with Inspector Henderson, uh, Jose seems to have left. Henderson seems surprised at seeing Dan. It's it's kind of weird because he doesn't, it seems less like, uh, why would Dan Turpin be here? And more like uh, a surprise, like he's just surprised Dan Turpin's even in town. I don't know. It was really weird because this van pulls up, Rusty's standing there with Inspector Henderson, and he says he took his time. And the inspector says, who? And that's when Dan steps out of the van and uh, Henderson's like, Dan, Dan Turpin, like, what are you doing here? Like, it's just some kind of weird thing for Dan Turpin to be somewhere in Metropolis. I don't know. I just I thought it was really weird. But anyway, Rusty takes him over to the, the ventilation shaft and Dan takes his jacket off because it's there's there's warm air coming from inside there. And then he goes in with just his flashlight and his gun. And they they uh, had a moment here where it looked like they were going to give us a little Ghostbusters reference, but they they didn't. It's like they had this opportunity and they wasted it because as Dan's going into the tunnel, if you remember when Rusty called Dan, he said that he doesn't know if he's seen a ghost, uh, but something has gone into the tomb. 
And so Dan's there and he, he's going to go in and Rusty says, you want some backup? And Dan says, nah, I ain't afraid of ghosts, kid. And, you know, he could have said, I ain't afraid of no ghosts, but he didn't. It just seems like a real wasted opportunity. If they're going to put ain't afraid of ghosts, I don't know. But he tells them that if he's not back in an hour to send in the Marines. Well, first he tells her to have Maggie Sawyer come down. He actually says it in a way that I find a bit offensive because he says, have Maggie get her skinny butt here. And uh, I don't know why he had to comment on her butt or the fact that it was skinny, but he did. And then he says, if I'm not back in an hour, send in the Marines and tell my daughter Maisie I love her. We get the confrontation here with uh, after that with uh, Bibbo and the drug dealers and Jose Delgado as the gangbuster shows up to, to help out Bibbo. And I, I have to admit, not a big fan of gangbusters costume. It looks to be kind of a, I don't know, maybe some police officer riot gear that was painted and modified. He's got this uh, like riot helmet on with with goggles. And the color scheme is, I guess it's supposed to be red and gold, but it's like a dull red and a dull gold. So it almost looks like brown and tan, which I don't know, works on Wolverine, but doesn't really work all right here, especially with the big circles, the big hoops he's got going around his shoulders, which just make these weird like 80s sci-fi shoulder pads like we'd see an, a an alien wear in an old sci-fi show from the 80s. But his uh, insignia, because most superheroes at the time had to have an insignia on their chest. His is just a, a fist with a line drawn through it. I guess the fist is supposed to represent violence. And yet he's here cracking skulls with a pair of nunchucks. So I'm not really, un I, I really don't understand the significance or the meaning behind the insignia. You know, he's called gangbusters, so he busts up gangs. But the raised fist, I mean, to me, if it was straight up and down, then that's like the political movement fist, you know, that standing here with my fist high in, in opposition of your oppression. But it's at an angle, so I, I can't imagine that that's what that fist is supposed to be. But I don't know. If, if you know, if you understand, if you know the history of gangbuster and what that symbol represents, let me know. Uh, he also seems to have uh, a collar on his shirt, like a button-up V-neck polo shirt type collar that's coming out of the top of his red, brownish red armor thing over his chest. I don't again, I don't know what what that's supposed to be. But there's a moment here as he's beating up these drug dealers, and one of them is in a car and he tries to get away and he backs into a freaking loading dock and the car just immediately catches fire because that's what they do. And Gangbuster is pulling him out of the car. And the other guy, the guy that started this whole thing, the, the drug dealer that Bibbo spied and was beaten up on, he, he comes, Bibbo comes pulling him up to the scene there where Gangbuster is pulling this guy out of the car. And this, this thug says, I saw what you did, Gangbuster. We're going to sue you for using excessive force on us. And Bibbo tosses him into a trash can, like into the side of a trash can, head first. And Bibbo says, Garsh, I'd hate to be left out of that lawsuit. And so I guess that was supposed to be funny. Again, I really like Bibbo, but I think the way some people ride him just, I don't know, I don't understand it. We get the fight here between Supergirl and the under Underworlders, which Dan Turpin joins in on, and he gets his shirt ripped to shreds. 
And you see that Dan's pretty built. He's like a fire plug, man. He's got some thick, muscular arms. And he's drawn in such a way that at times it looks like he's got a bit of a belly. But here he's got like a freaking almost six-pack abs. Just He's just a big, tough-looking dude. He looks like the old version of the thing, frankly. He's just a short fire plug of a guy. But very, very muscular. I mean, he's standing here with his shirt ripped off and he looks like a freaking He-Man figure. But he's fighting a dude named Bog, and he's starting to win. And that's when one of the Underworlders show up by the name of Rambo. And uh, he was in the issue that started this whole Death of Superman thing, Superman Man of Steel number 18. And he just kind of comes up behind Dan Turpin and drops a grenade into the back of his pants and just says, a little maneuver we call sequence number seven. And if you if you remember from Man of Steel issue number 18, when they when the Underworlders were fighting Superman, the the leader of the Underworlders, Closter, who also shows up in this, he fights Supergirl for a bit. He tells Rambo in that issue, Rambo, diversion number seven, which is basically just uh, throwing a grenade. And so I don't know how many other maneuvers or sequences there are that Rambo knows, but he he keeps going back to the well. You know, and I, I don't know why they need to. <laughs> it's like they train on it. It's like, show me sequence number seven. And it's just throwing a grenade because that's what he does here. He drops a grenade into uh, Dan's pants. Dan whips around real quick and he says, uh, well, here's numbers eight and nine. He pulls the pins off of the the two remaining grenades that are on Rambo's belt. Rambo, if you remember, I should mention he's like a blue goat looking dude. And uh, as Rambo is trying to pull that belt off, Dan starts pulling his pants off because he's got a freaking live grenade in there that's getting ready to explode. And uh, Supergirl comes flying up and snatches him up, leaving his trousers behind. The grenades blow up. They manage to get away before they're hurt by the explosion. They get some debris, which actually knocks them to the ground. She's flying through the tunnel and the, the explosion happens and they get hit by rocks and they fly to the ground. But as they're flying away before the grenades go off, Dan says, for crying out loud, lady, I'm in my skivvies. And uh, Supergirl responds, sorry, officer, but we'll have to take expediency over modesty this one time. And then adds this piece in that that I, I don't know. It I always kind of roll my eyes when I read stuff like this. When, when knowing that it's written by a man, because she says, besides, I think boxer shorts are very sexy. And uh, yeah, I just if Louise Simonson had written that, I, I probably wouldn't. I'd just be like, all right, but <laughs> written by a man. I mean, it's not like it offends me. I'm not about to have the vapors and pass out like a like a like one of them southern ladies you see on the old TV shows clutching at their pearls and saying, oh, my word, I'm catching the vapors. You know, it doesn't offend me as, you know, I, I I just find it, I just roll my eyes, you know? It didn't need to be there. It was written by a man. So my mind immediately goes, okay, so Jerry Ordway may wear boxer shorts and he may think Supergirl finds him sexy if she was real. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just roll my eyes when I see stuff like that. There, There was no reason for that. I don't think Supergirl would say something like that. I don't think most women would say something like that. I might say it, but uh, not Supergirl. Anyway, they survive the blast. They go outside. Rusty starts to uh, 
point out the fact that Turpin ain't wearing no pants and his shirt's all torn to tatters. Actually, no, that's not Rusty. Well, unless Rusty's last name is Ramirez. I don't know who this guy is, but Maggie tells Ramirez that's enough. Just happy to see the big lug in one piece. And Supergirl flies off to go tell Lex, promising Turpin that she'll buy him a new pair of pants, asking him what size of pants he wears. And he takes a 50, 50 medium, he says, in pinstripe. And then says, good kid, you know, describing old Supergirl. Tough scrapper. So Supergirl gets Dan Turpin's thumbs up of approval. But that's when Dan, after she flies off, she tells uh, Maggie that they both know what's happened here. The, the Superman's body is missing. There's been one person who's wanted Superman's body, and he thinks that they should go back down in them tunnels, take that other path that they didn't take, and follow it till they hit pay dirt as he puts it, or Cadmus. And the very last panel, as he's saying this, we're getting narration box, boxes, I should say, which are two different colors. There's three narration boxes when he's speaking. And one of two of them are yellow, and one of them is like a pinkish purple. And I, I don't understand why they would just suddenly change the color of one of the text boxes, because typically they don't do that unless it's somebody else speaking. Unless that's supposed to be Maggie, maybe maybe that's, I just assumed it was him. So he's saying, oh, sorry, Maggie, look, we know someone got to Superman and we both know who wanted him. And then I guess that's Maggie saying, I say we go back down there and follow the other branch till we hit pay dirt. And then Dan replies with, or Cadmus. Regardless, that is being said, those narr narration boxes are showing over one panel, the last panel in the book, and we see Superman's body. Still in the costume, they must have put a new costume on him. I don't know where they, well, somebody could have made one, I suppose, for his funeral. That, that doesn't seem to be unreasonable for any one of his fellow superheroes to come up with a new costume. Uh, doesn't have the cape, but he's, he's laying on some kind of hardcore sci-fi, super technological gurney hospital bed of some sort. And there's two dudes with rifles and strange helmets with big giant visors over him. They're just standing over him. And it says to be continued in Action Comics 686, which means it's time for us to talk about what's coming up in this whole thing over the next four weeks. So at the end of the letters page here in the, the, the back of this book, we got next week, the action is heating up in Metropolis on the surface while the SCU leaves no stone unturned as they comb the underworld for Superman's missing body. And with terrible Turpin on the case, they'll get their answers. And I'm sorry, but my mind immediately turned into like a fifth grade boy when I read Underworld that, that time, because I just immediately, for some reason, thought of this old joke where you ask somebody, what are you eating under there? And their response is supposed to be under, underwear. And then you go, ha ha, you're eating underwear. Ha ha. That's all I could think of. <laughs> I apologize. Anyway, it goes on. In two weeks, the Kents are dealing with Clark's death very differently. Martha strives to go on living, but Jonathan finds he might not be able to. That's in Man of Steel number 21. And then in three weeks, the darkest hour in Pa Kent's life is upon him as he realizes that the son who has survived so many battles over the years is almost certainly not coming back from this one. Superman number 77 by Dan Jurgens and Brett Breeding. That's in three weeks. And then in a month, 
There is no information for Adventures of Superman number 500 at this time. That's what it says there in that last box. So really, there's nothing left for me to do here but wrap it up. So if you have any feedback, any comments, any questions, anything you want to say, if you want to provide me with just what exactly that insignia on Gangbusters costume is supposed to signify, there's a, a number of ways you can reach out and do that. I've got an email, just another fanboy at gmail.com. We've got the voice line, 785-318-6673. You can use that to leave a voicemail or send a text. You can come over to the forum, forum.justanotherfanboy.com. Look for the Just Another Fanboy Presents forum and uh, leave your thoughts there or, you know, again, gangbuster insignia. You can also reach out to me on either Instagram or Twitter by looking for the handle at Stephen or else. And the podcast is also out there on Facebook, facebook.com slash just another fanboy podcast. And that's it, folks. That's the episode. Join me back here next week or in the new year for Action Comics number 686. And we'll see if they find Superman's body or not. Happy New Year. Fart, fart, fart. Boop, 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 fart, fart, poop.